September 21st, 2017, downtown San Francisco. The Sales Development Conference, the world's first and only conference focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. Learn, grow, and succeed with the top minds in the sales development space. Keynote speakers include Henry Schock, CEO of Discover Org, Manny Medina, CEO of Outreach, Christina McMillan, Director of Research at Topo, and legendary sales trainer. John Barrows, among many, many others. No fluff, no filler, just the data, research, and networking you need to grow your career and become a stronger sales development leader. Go to 10bound.com slash conference to get your early bird ticket today. Again, 10bound.com slash conference to lock in this incredible opportunity today. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I'm David Delaney, and I'm very excited today to introduce you to someone who has made a huge difference in my life. And I think that if you take a look at some of his material, he can make a huge difference in yours, too. Anyone from a sales development rep to the CEO running a huge company, uh, this is someone that you need to know. Mr. Tom Corley is an internationally recognized authority on habits and wealth creation and how they relate to wealth creation. He did a five-year study of the rich and the poor, and he identified over 300 daily habits that separated the haves from the have-nots. Tom's a best-selling author and an award-winning speaker. His books include Rich Habits, which is the one that I first read and really got me into his work, made me really, really think about how my daily habits run my life and lead to the results that I'm seeing. And he just came out with a book called Rich Habits, Poor Habits, which I'm excited to dig into. He's spoken alongside Richard Branson, Robin Sharma, Dr. Daniel Amen, and many other notable speakers. Tom, thank you so much for being on the Sales Development Podcast. Well, I, I'm honored, David. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. I, I hope I can add some value to your listeners. We live in the richest country on earth. But if you look at some of the stats, I'm looking at the U.S. Census Bureau 2015 estimates. It was estimated that 43 million Americans live in poverty, which is defined as a family of four living on 24000 a year. And another 100 million live at twice the poverty line, 48,000 for a family of four. So how is it that in the richest country on earth, we have these kind of statistics? And in Tom's study of over a five-year study, he realized that habits, daily habits is what separates. If you've got good habits, it's an upward spiral. If you've got bad habits, it becomes a downward spiral. And if you're like me, a lot of times you're kind of sleepwalking from your next project to project, and not really thinking about what your habits are. So Tom, welcome to the show. Let's talk about these statistics. How'd you come up with the study? And what can we do to improve our habits and learn from your research? Sure. So by the way, I've written about just what you're talking about there. Um, The fact is, David, that most of there's probably close to 140 million, as you mentioned, that are literally one paycheck away from being uh, homeless. And, and that's frightening. So, uh, and, and I know what that means because we, we went through poverty ourselves and, 
And I guess I have uh, a unique advantage over uh, anyone in my space, which is the self-help space or anybody that studies successful people or poor people. And that's that I've been in both worlds. You know, we we started out in my family. We were very wealthy. My dad was one of the most uh, successful individuals uh, on Staten Island where we came from. Uh, and uh, at the age of nine, we literally lost everything overnight. My, my dad had sold his business because his uh, this is random bad luck. It, it can happen to anybody. Uh, even wealthy people. So he, his business partner, who was the sales guy, he was in charge of the sales. My dad was the operations guy. He, the sales guy was 39 years old and had a heart attack and died. I'll never forget that Saturday that he passed away. And my dad was just, he, he was ashen. His, he turned white because uh, he knew that guy was the heartbeat of the organization. So my dad ended up selling the business. He got at the time about four and a half million for it, which is about 22 million, 23 million in today's dollars. Uh, and he was supposed to get paid three payments. They made the first payment. They didn't make the, the second. They didn't make the third. My dad took the business back 18 months later and it was a completely different business. Same, same, uh, customers, same vendors, but the way that they ran the business was completely the opposite of the way my dad had, had instructed them to run the business if they wanted to succeed. And, and so anyway, uh, he took the business back and 30 days later, uh, they, the, the built, the warehouse burned to the ground. Uh, it was, our, it was arson. They knew it. They just couldn't prove it. Uh, and, um, anyway, my, my dad, uh, lost everything and, and the inventory, including the inventory, which was about 4 million, uh, they ended up, uh, my dad had to pay the vendors $4 million because they, um, paid, they b- bought the inventory on, uh, on credit. Not my dad had never done that in all his years. So he owed the vendor money. He could have filed for, for bankruptcy to close the business down and kept his four and a half million dollars that he had. He had close to four and a half. But that wasn't my dad. So um, anyway, we ended up almost going bankrupt ourselves. Uh, and um, we spent, uh, I think it was until I left that, my dad, my parents moved out of their house in 1984. And that's uh, when, when he finally retired, he was almost a millionaire. So he didn't quite recover, but he recovered enough that he had uh, money to retire at age 63. So... Um, you know, it was it was a tough go. I had to work as a janitor during college, uh, 20 hours a week in order to pay for college because we had no money. Uh, so uh, it was, um, you know, all of us ha- had a struggle. And uh, and I guess, you know, but that stuck, that experience stuck with me uh, my whole life. And I, I had this uh, really negative perception of wealth and negative perception of money because we, we always never had any. Uh, and so, uh, you know, when I started doing my rich habits research, started uh, interviewing all of these wealthy people to find out why they're successful. What are they doing? Um, I was completely blown away, David, because I, my, my expectation, my expectations were that, you know, they were, pretty much 
that they acquired their wealth due to either a family, you know, inheritance or nefarious means. Uh, they were uh, low lives. They were, you know, che- they cheated. They they were, you know, they, they, they cheated people out of their money. That, you know, so I had all of these negative perceptions, cutthroat, that kind of stuff. And holy mackerel, was I was I the opposite of right, which they just commonly called wrong. So I found out that wealthy people were actually superior in every, almost every department to poor people and middle class people. They were not only honest, more honest, not only more more um, generous. Uh, they were responsible for. In their local communities, for a lot of the nonprofits that existed, not only funding them but their time, you know, running the boards on, on many of these nonprofits, they did um, had you know so many powerful relationship building skills, which I think we need to talk about since that's going to be important to the um, the your listeners. They 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 want to know how to build relationships with the right people, so we'll talk about that. Uh, so there were so many things that I uncovered that that altered my my per- perception of, of wealthy people, and uh, I, I came to uh, not only admire them but to strive to be like them, uh, which which was the you know the opposite of what I was trying to do up until that point in life, and that's why I was struggling in life. I think I was following uh, the blueprint that I had in my head, which, you know, was uh, something I learned from my mother. And, you know, when you grow up in a family that, that doesn't uh, have these rich habits as we did, uh, then what do you have? You have poor habits. So, uh, and you struggle in life. So uh, I'm, you know, since 2008, I've been, uh, I've adopted the, the rich habits and my life has really transformed. Yes. And, and I love how in the book there's, You've, you've got charts, you know, that says, I'm going to call it poor habits, uh, you know, just because it's an easy moniker. I'm not degrading anyone by saying poor, but it's just an easy way to, to describe it. But it's like, you know, you got your poor habits on one side and you got your rich habits on the other. And, you know, it, it's just having it there on a chart makes it really easy to, to see the stark differences, which is, I want to go into. But really quickly, when, as you were talking, I was thinking when I was a kid, um, I, I was raised in kind of an, probably, an, I guess, an upper middle class area. And the wealthy people were, in my family, it was always the specialists. It was the doctors, the lawyers, the really smart people. And I, I think, um, and, and then we never talked about money. It was always just, no, no, we don't talk about that, you know? And so that kind of went into my head. And so when I got a little bit older, it was like, well, I'm really not that smart. Like, I'm never going to be a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. So I started to resent them, you know, because and and then that kind of warped me toward wealth and stuff like that. So that's just one story. But, you know, I think it's important for people to look at how were you raised and what what were your parents, you know, telling you about money and, and stuff like that. And And then as you did your study, it was a real eye opener. Right. So tell us about what you started to discover as the statistics came back. So I, you know, one, one of the statistics, I think that I was, I guess, a little taken back uh, by was the exercise. Uh, you know, I had this image of wealthy people in my head of them being uh, 
you know, overweight, smoking cigars, you know, <laughs> eating copious amounts of food. And uh, what I found out was was the exact opposite. In fact, the wealthy in my study, they, I had to start tracking their exercise and health habits because they had so many good ones. You know, just a stupid one. I'll throw it out there. 62 percent of the of the rich flossed every day who thinks about flossing right uh, I, and and the, and the only reason it popped up is because they, they kept mentioning it well i take care of my teeth i was like there wasn't one it was like you know 160 of them said you know i floss or and and i i was and then i said well what let me ask that question to the poor people because keep in mind i did the the to study on the rich people first, and it was an afterthought, quite frankly, to study the, the poor. Uh, my wife brought it up to me. She said, well, that's great, you know, what rich people do, but what do poor people do? You know, you need to know what not to do. So hmm. I, on this particular one, only 16% of the uh, poor people flossed. And I said, wow, I mean, these are habits. These aren't, um, you know, this isn't being lazy. This is just, I wasn't taught to floss, they're told to take care of my teeth. So that was one. Junk food was another one. Three percent, ninety-seven percent of the poor people ate a lot of junk food. What's a lot? More than three hundred junk food calories a day um, was my number that I used because I, I found it somewhere in some scientific or health uh, blog. Uh, and seventy uh, percent of the rich people ate less than three hundred junk food calories a day. And uh, exercising aerobically. Uh, 30 minutes or more a day, four days a week, that 76% of the wealthy did that, uh, where, whereas 77% uh, of the poor didn't. Uh, and why is aerobic exercise a rich habit? Because I found in doing my research for a book that I'm working on called Rich Thinking, I found that there's science behind this. The, uh, the more you exercise, the more oxygen you take in, Oxygen does a number of things. It, it's used as a catalyst by your mitochondria, which every cell has thousands of, of mitochondria. They're the, the power plants of every cell. They use oxygen, combine it with glucose or um, uh, or uh, what's the other one? They um, ketone, ketones, and um, they turn that into ATP, which fuels every cell in your body. So if you don't have enough oxygen flowing into your cells, your cells are struggling with energy needs, and that's why people who don't exercise are often more tired. Uh, they have less energy. Uh, and the other thing I found is oxygen is also used as a sponge to clean up free radicals. Free radicals, when when the oxygen combines with the glucose or the ketones, it's, it's like if you ever saw one of those tigers on the Serengeti ripping apart uh, their prey – uh, that's what's kind of going on inside your cell. The uh, oxygen, when it catalyzes with the glucose and the ketones, it shoots all of this crap all over the place. These uh, free radicals get loose, and they're bouncing around inside your cells. And if they hit the uh, nucleus where the, where the DNA is stored, uh, they cause mutations, which create cancer, heart disease, and all sorts of things. So the oxygen acts like a sponge soaking them up, and then it flows back into the blood, it goes into, uh, I believe, the veins, uh, uh, I think the, the, the ar arteries. It goes into the arteries that flows into the lungs, and then it, it gets dispersed in the form of CO2. So it's a magnificent process, 
but it's um, the other thing that that ex- aerobic exercise does is it increases your IQ. So uh, how does it do, how does it do that? Um, well, um, it creates uh, it increases the production of a protein called BDNF, which increases the production of new brain, brain cells. It literally triples the number of brain cells that, that are produced every day from 1,000 to 3,000. Uh, it also strengthens the uh, myelin sheath that surrounds the axon. Every brain cell is made up of an axon, one axon, which sends signals, and uh, uh, numerous dendrites, hundreds, maybe thousands of dendrites that receive signals. So the myelin sheath is like insulation around a cable. The thicker it is, the faster the transmission and and also the more powerful the transmission. So uh, these rich people had stumbled onto something. I don't believe they exercised because they knew all the neurology behind it. I think they were just doing it because their parents taught them this rich habit uh, during their uh, ch- childhood. And, uh, and, and they were doing this and increasing their IQ in the process. So uh, those were a couple of things. The multiple streams of income, I found that three happened to be the magic number for rich people. 65% had three streams of income, at least three streams. 45% had four streams, and I think 27% had five streams or more. Uh, and when, when I thought about that a lot because um, some of the people I've spoken with, Richard Branson, Robin Sharma, Daniel Amen, if, if anybody doesn't know who he is, he's got the Amen uh, medical centers, they do spectral analysis of the brain. He's a leader in that science. And um, uh, anyway, he has so many streams of income, Daniel Amen. I, I don't know how many hundreds he has. Robert Branson has uh, hundreds of streams of income. Robin Sharma has many streams of income. So these wealthy people create multiple streams of income off of their core business, whatever that business is. Uh, and then uh, if that core business, because of economic downturns uh, reduces their income. They have all these other mul- multiple streams to rely on to fall back on. So, uh, you know, the, the, I think the number one rich habit, if there is one, it's this dream setting. It's the um, process of, of pursuing your dreams and then building goals around each dream. Uh, and that's important because dreams, when you pursue dreams, it turns on something in the brain uh, the, the reticular activating system, it starts looking for opportunities, the environment to, uh, you know, to help you realize your dreams and realize the goals around your dreams. Okay. Wow. All right. So the, writing down notes, I just want you guys to know that this will be uh, transcribed um, and we'll have notes when we post the podcast. So, because th- this, this is huge, man. The first thing I'm thinking is I should have listened to my mom. Okay. <laughs> the one who was saying floss every day, you know, eat kale salads and then go run and lift weights. <laughs> that, that I try to do that, but it's not always perfect. We got multiple streams of income, at least three. So I want to go into that a little bit. And then the number one habit that you mentioned of pursuing your dreams. So I think, and, and just a level set, Tom, in your study, what, what were the big picture uh, you know, data points. So you had, uh, you said like 150 people, equal number of rich and poor, and then you came up with uh, over 300 different habits. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I, so far, I'm, I'm just looking at my research summary and it looks like I've got 344 habits that separate the rich from the poor. 
and and their their habits, but they're also behaviors. There's there's thinking. Uh, there's you know how they spend their money. Uh, there's how they build relationships. There's a whole host of categories. There's 20 categories that I built 144 questions around, and then I I um, asked those questions to 233 millionaires, individuals that had. Um, 3.2 million in net investable assets plus they made $160,000 or more a year. I also asked those same questions to the 128 poor people and the poor were individuals who made less than $35,000 a year and had less than $5,000 in the bank. Uh, so uh, it was a two-part test in both cases and I asked those 144 questions to both groups and then I put uh, summarized everything into something I call the research summary. Okay, and the research summary is that was that kind of the genesis of the Rich Habits book? Yeah, so I, I created um, this research summary, and then I started uh, conducting uh, training sessions. Training, um, what do I call them? Train, well, training sessions at one hour training sessions. Uh, I did that for about six to eight months, and I just wanted to try and get better at communicating these rich habits in a uh, sort of in a seminar type forum. Uh, and uh, what happened was some of the people in the group started having real success and they begged me to write a book about it. So I was reluctant because I'd never written a, or I never sought to have a book published before. I was always a writer, but I never wrote a book and then had it published. So I actually wasn't in, exactly sure how to go about that. So I had to read a lot of books on that. Uh, and, um, and and then once I got it, you know, my feeling was, look, if you can p- pass the CPA exam, you can write a friggin' book. I mean, for God's sake, it can't, it can't be harder. A book, writing a book can't be harder than, than, than studying for and taking the CPA exam. And and uh, and uh, it's I, I was absolutely right. It, well, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was. Nothing is uh, as hard as you think it is. <laughs> so uh, I ended up writing a book, and it, the book took off. I mean, it was it was like um, I, I can't say it took off immediately. It it languished for about three years, and then uh, Yahoo Finance interviewed me for uh, their one of their shows, uh, Financially Fit, I think it was called, and that show. It was a TV show, a video they did, but th- that show had never had more than 400,000 hits. Uh, and when they ran my interview, we had 2 million hits within a 24-hour period. Uh, and one of, the, one of the hits was Dave Ramsey, who was a big radio host in, in the U.S. He has 8 million, 9 million listeners. Uh, and he was – I was scheduled to be on his show for 10 minutes. He had me on for a half an hour because just like you know, you're – you're getting out of this. It's uh, this stuff is <clears throat> is pretty unbelievable. So so he wanted to keep me on for two more segments, and and then the next thing I knew, David, my book was number seven on Amazon in the U.S. in all book categories. That is so rare. Uh, it's 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 a feat I haven't accomplished since, but I I have broken through the the hundred mark. But I haven't gotten as close to number one as, as that. Um, I mean, I was ahead of J.K. Rawlings. You know, she. Uh, I was ahead of Tony Robbins. 
I was ahead of that, uh, the woman who uh, wrote the book Lean In. I can't remember her name, but she had, her book was, was number eight. I was ahead of her. That book sold millions of copies. And uh, I, so I, my book took off after that. And the next thing I knew, I was being interviewed by CBS. Uh, I was uh, uh, being, into, you know, the next thing I knew a year later, I was in Success Magazine and they interviewed me for their CD that they put in there. And um, uh, I, uh, it's just one thing after another. I, I, I've been in the, probably the, tw- the media in 27 countries. Uh, I've probably had 100 million people have looked at my research around the world and, and my, my uh, two of my books are, are going to be released in China uh, probably in July uh, and they have uh, 500 million people in the middle class so I'm excited about that. Uh, so this, this is uh, just growing. It's just get it's snowballing. It really is. It's evergreen really because it, you've got 140 million people you know making less than you know 50 grand a year with four kids or whatever, four people in their family. And to, to come out and say, look, we did this study. It's we, we, we have a comprehensive data set. Here's on the left side what they do to be wealthy. And here's what they don't do on the other side. And they end up not, you know, it, with the success of your book, it really comes down to the habit, you know, that you implemented, you know, probably to get up every day and and work on the book and stay focused and, you know, pursue that dream goal that you put in that you were going to aggregate this and get the get, get that knowledge out there. I mean, you really were using the rich habits to become successful, right? Yeah, th- that's the great irony in this, because when I was doing when I was just wrapping up my research, uh, I run a CPA firm. It's a, it's a small CPA firm. We, we have like six or seven employees or at the time we had about nine employees with where we were, um, and maybe we were doing about eight or nine hundred thousand a year, which meant I was making about one hundred and thirty, hundred forty thousand dollars a year. Not bad, but I had uh, three kids to put through college, and I had maybe ninety thousand dollars saved for college, which is it's a joke. Uh, and I was in absolute panic. I felt like a gun was put to my head with college, and uh, I said, "Boy, I've got to get some additional streams of income." ASAP. And so I, uh, I added financial planning, which generated about $70,000 a year in income. And then I, you know, I wrote rich habits, which was a revenue stream and that generated, you know, generates every year about between 50 and a hundred thousand in revenue. Uh, and then I wrote rich kids, which was probably my best book, best written book. Uh, and then change your habits, change your life. And now rich habits, poor habits. And now I have books going into China. I have books going into uh, South Korea. Uh, so I have more revenue streams coming online. And the, the important thing I want to highlight here uh, is, is this. Uh, you never know what thing is going to obsess you, but you have to follow the the string. And so if, if you see a string, you got to pull on it and see where it leads. I pulled on the string that said, write a book. And, um, I'm glad I did because when I pulled on that string, it revealed my main purpose in life, my calling, which was to be a a writer, to help people uh, with these rich habits. And, uh, it it turned on certain success characteristics that, that every one of us has. They're just turned off for most of us. 
Uh, it turned on, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say, I'll be honest with, with your listeners. Um, I, in 2008, or when I was done, when I started my research, let's say 2004, I, I wouldn't have called myself an early riser. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't have uh, uh, referred to myself as a workaholic. Um, but when I started doing that research, it turned something on inside me that made me get up at 4.30 every morning for four or five years. And I haven't stopped since. I, 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 I still get up at 4.30, quarter to five every morning to do my rich habits stuff. And uh, when, it, when you pursue a dream or, uh, or find your main calling in life, or let's put it this way. When you pursue a dream, it reveals your main calling in life. It re- re- reveals your main purpose in life. And when that happens, it turns on all of these success characteristics that are embedded or hardwired into each human being. And when they're turned on, holy smokes, man, it's like you can't you can't fail. Uh, It's it's uh, it really uh, is the thing that that provides you with that passion energy. Passion energy is different from willpower energy, which is how most of us function. Passion energy is tapped into your emotions. When your amygdala and your, your limbic system and the brain uh, are uh, turned on because you're pursuing something you're passionate about, it gives you an enormous amount of energy. I can tell you when I was writing Rich Habits, um, I did a lot of my writing at night between the hours of 9 and 11. Who has energy at, at 9 o'clock at night? Uh, no one. You, you know, and so instead of me having a beer, uh, which is, was my, my poor habit, uh, I spent two hours writing rich habits. You, now, that wasn't something that evolved. It was like got turned on immediately. I started, I became obsessed and I started writing and, and I, I basically got rid of all of these bad habits that I had because I pursued a dream that turned on uh, passion inside of me and it allowed me to work around the clock. It was amazing to me. So, you know, this this is why it's so important to pursue things that you're passionate about uh, which are usually dreams. Uh, dreams reveal your passion, passions. And uh, you'll find out uh, you don't have to will yourself to do the work. It just is something that uh, happens. It's, uh, it's just the way human beings are, are, are hardwired. I love that. And, and it's so great. You, you have to create time to be able to follow that. And, and your habit of getting up early and making that space Are you an SDR, BDR, or an ADR who's ready to step up to management? Are you a current team lead or SDR manager who wants to go to the next level in your career? Join TenBound on July 19th, 2017 in downtown San Francisco for an immersive half-day live training class where we'll cover sales development, culture building, recruiting, team management, metrics, and designing your own career as a sales development professional. You don't want to miss this exclusive opportunity. Sign up today at tenbound.com slash events. That's tenbound.com slash events. You know, for the listeners, a lot of their younger professionals, they're getting into the into the professional world and they're they're working really hard and they may not really know what the rich habits are until hopefully they get your book. But tell me about your you get up at four thirty in the morning and you do your rich habit stuff. Like what what's a what's your rich habit stuff and what are some things that maybe they can bring in? So I I devote an hour to an hour and a half every morning right uh, to reading 
I do about an hour to an hour and a half of writing. Uh, and then I, I will devote anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour of exercise. Uh, I go to the gym. I lift weights. Uh, I'm a weightlifter. I'm not big, but I'm a weightlifter. I became a weightlifter in, in August of 2014. And I do that three days a week. About, it takes me about 35 minutes uh, for every session in the gym. And then I, I religiously run every day. Uh, and uh, I would say on average, I run about 20 miles a week. Uh, so I'm running almost every day, at least two to three miles. And then on the weekends, I amp it up a little bit, you know. Uh, so so uh, those those things kind of occupy my morning. I might also jump on social media if I have the time in the morning. If not, I, I'll do that when first thing when I get into my office and then at lunchtime and then at the end of the day. So um, I'm, you know, I'm trying to do my rich habits around my rich habits business. I'm trying to run that business around my core business, which is my CPA and my financial planning practice. Okay. So you're still right in there with your, with both businesses. <laughs> yeah. That's so amazing. I have right now three businesses. I have the CPA business, the financial planning business and the rich habits business. And, uh, the CPA business occupies about, uh, off season, which is not in, during tax season, it, it takes up about six, six hours a day. Um, and during tax season, it takes up about 12 hours a day. Uh, and then the rich habits business takes up about five hours a day, three in the morning and maybe two, you know, I squeeze in there somehow. Uh, and then the financial planning practice is probably another two hours a day uh, or so. And, um, usually, usually at night, uh, between the hours of six and eight. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to do all of that in one day and, uh, I'm able to do it because I have, I have no choice, but to focus like a laser because I, we all were given the same thing, 24 hours. So, uh, the difference between people that are successful and the people that aren't successful is how they focus their time. Uh, so rich people focus their time doing certain specific things that help move them forward in achieving their, their goals and realizing their dreams. Uh, and poor people don't. They waste their time by, um, you know, social media, uh, watching TV, uh, watching YouTube or whatever, Facebook. You know, it's, it, they, just, they just have – they have, believe it or not, poor people have more time than rich people and they waste it more than rich people. They just haven't categorized it. And, and like I was saying, I've been, I was in the corporate world for 15 years and you know, you, you can tell by listening to Tom, he doesn't work an eight hour <laughs> shift and like punch out and go home and like veg out for the TV. I mean, the, the way that you are successful is you've got that, you've got that dream that you're pursuing and then you, you've got the disciplines set up to, implement your rich habits and pump a bunch of oxygen into your brain every day and, and sit down and, and do the writing and you're moving closer, but it's, it's not an eight hour thing. I mean, it's like a, a lifestyle that's around the clock of pursuing your dream versus just like punching in getting a paycheck and, 
and heading home for some YouTube videos, you know? Yeah, and, and I don't want to come off as a Superman because uh, <laughs> I, I was – uh, I was a B student, maybe maybe a B plus student, my whole my whole adult life. I, I would say from from high school on. Uh, so uh, I wasn't a good student before that. Uh, but uh, so I'm an you know I, I I can't say I have an average intelligence because I did I did have to take you know you said you were in the corporate world. I was in the corporate world for ten years in in our finance department. They made everybody in the finance department take an IQ test. And I have to tell you, David, I was petrified because I honestly believed I was an idiot. Uh, and uh, I, when I took the IQ test, it came back as 136. Uh, and my boss, who everybody knew was a genius, he came in at 134. And I, you, there wasn't a, a soul in my department who didn't fall off their chair when, when my IQ test came back. Cause they, I think they thought I was an idiot too, even though I wasn't. Um, anyway, it, my point is that my perception of, of myself was that I wasn't very smart and, and my habits reflected that. And that, and that's the, that's the thing where beliefs come in. Uh, if you, if your beliefs are negative beliefs about yourself, you're going to develop habits around those beliefs. Uh, for example, if you think you're a bad student, you're not going to study. Why study? I'm an idiot. Uh, and uh, if you think you're smart, you're going to study more because you think you're smart, uh, because you got you got to prove that you're smart constantly uh, through grades. So if you think you're an average worker, you're going to build habits that that prove to the world that you're an average worker. If you think you're an exceptional worker, you're going to uh, forge rich habits that um, a lot of the wealthy people have. It's it's just the, the, the beliefs. Beliefs are the springboard to our habits. They they are what happens first, and then hab habits are what happens next. You know, when you're in your twenties, you feel indestructible, and and all your friends are having fun, and there's all these posts on Instagram with people with like Lambos and, you know, gold chains and all this stuff. And you're looking at that and you're just like, I, I just want, I just want to go party, you know, but I, I think if you can implement the rich habits proactively before something bad happens, like you go bankrupt or you, I call it like a threshold event where you hit some event where it's like, Oh my God, you know, that, that that's usually in your thirties or forties. You go, Oh my God, you know, for me, it was, I got the pictures back for my cruise, you know, <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, like I need to go on a diet immediately. And then I started implementing the rich habits around the weight loss. <laughs> you know, if you can implement these habits proactively in your twenties, man, you're going to be way better off by the time you hit your 30s and 40s. Yeah, and, and the point I also want to get across to your listeners is this. All you need is, is one, two, or three rich habits. The, these rich habits, the way I, I configured them was to be keystone habits. Keystone habits are unique in the habit world in that they're dominant habits. They're overpowered habits. They're the type of habits that force change. Um, for example, let, let's talk about the exercise uh, rich habit. So when you exercise, imagine you're overweight and you decide, well, I got to lose weight. You know, you look at pictures from your cruise and say, I got to lose weight. 
So, so you start exercising a little bit every day. Maybe it's 20 minutes. You start out and you build it up to 30 minutes. And then, you know, you fast forward a month later and you've lost about, say, 10 or 15 pounds. And somebody says, hey, David, you, you lose weight. You look pretty good. Well, you know what that does is it, it, it taps into your emotion center, your brain. It, it gets your ego going and you start to think, whoa, man, I like hearing that stuff. So uh, now you say, all right, I'm going to cut back on junk food. I'm not going to drink the, you know, the three beers every night. I'm going to cut back to one beer. Uh, I'm not going to eat the, you know, 15 Oreos. I'm going to have one Oreo. So you start moderating your habits. You, the exercise habit actually uh, motivates you to alter your other habits automatically. It's not that you have to force yourself. Your, your emotions get, uh, get triggered. And next thing you know, you're you're cutting back on your smoking, you're eating, and you're drinking. And uh, a month, another month goes by, and somebody says, "Boy, David, you, you're really looking good. You lost more weight." And you just keep at it because it taps into your emotion center, your brain. I love that. That's amazing. Um, and so, it, it, you know, exercise definitely a, a keystone. Are there two or three other keystones, or should we just? Yeah. Just 100% yeah. focus on exercise. <laughs> no, uh, reading every day for self-improvement is a rich habit. That's a keystone habit. Um, what happens when you read to learn is you gain knowledge. And that knowledge, the more knowledge you gain, the more it opens up your eyes to opportunities. So the way I like to describe it is imagine you're standing in a, a forest, but you don't know it's a forest. All you see is like maybe 100 trees around you, right? Uh, so, uh, you see those trees are a metaphor for opportunities. So you see a hundred opportunities around you, see a hundred trees off to the side is a hill. Uh, and that hill is a metaphor for self-improvement reading. So you start climbing that hill. You start reading every day to learn as you get higher and higher up the hill, as you learn more and more, what do you start to see? You start to see that you're, there aren't a hundred trees. There's a thousand trees and you keep going up and you see there's 10,000 trees. Well, as you, uh, you know, engage in self-improvement, daily self-improvement through this self-improvement reading or listening to podcasts or, you know, audio books or whatever, uh, the more you learn, the more you see, you see opportunities. You realize that uh, as you get to a certain point, when your knowledge grows to a certain point, you see um, not 100 opportunities, but maybe 10,000 opportunities. So the self-improvement rich habit is a keystone habit because it starts altering your everyday behavior. Uh, you'll, you'll, maybe you'll stop watching three hours of TV a day because doing so interferes with your reading to gain knowledge. So you maybe cut back to an hour a day and you amp it up to say two hours a day of reading because, well, why not? I'm making more money. Every time I read, I learn. And every time I learn, I see more opportunities. And when I take advantage of those opportunities, I make more money. Uh, so you start uh, doing certain things <clears throat> through the, just that reading rich habit that alter other habits. Uh, the relationship building habit, I want to get into this. This is important for, for your listeners. So I found that the, the rich have do three things primarily that uh, grow their relationships. One is the happy birthday call. The second is the life event, uh, is the hello call. And the third is the life event call. The happy birthday call 
keeps your relationships on life support. At least once a year, you're going to call your relationships and you're going to wish them a happy birthday. What I found, because I've been doing this for many years, is 25% of the people will call you on your birthday. I call that the reciprocal happy birthday call. When that happens, it takes your relationship off of life support. Now, every time you make a phone call to anybody, whether it's a happy birthday call, a hello call, or a life event call, you're the purpose of that call is to gather information on your contact. You want to learn more and more about uh, each of your contacts. And what I do is I, I write down new information. I ask questions and I write down new information. So you went to what college, David? Uh, what's your, what's, what's uh, the name of your, your spouse? Uh, how many kids do you have? What, what schools did you go to? Blah, 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 right? You, so you write this down and then I, I transcribe it over to Outlook which works its way into my phone somehow through the magic of the uh, technology. And, um, and, and so now I have all of this information on my contacts just from the happy birthday call. The hello call is similar. You, you should make a happy birthday call once every three months to individuals that you want to grow relationships with. Uh, they're usually people that can help you in your career and your business or whatever. Uh, so you make those calls and you gather in more information. The life event call is probably the most significant call that you can make because it grows the roots to your relationship trees uh, faster than anything. It's like putting your relationships on steroids. Uh, imagine, uh, David, uh, you know, somebody in your family dies and you, uh, Tom Corley's shows up at, at the wake, Right. And you're like, wow, I had no idea Tom cared so much about me. Uh, and that transforms the relationship overnight. Uh, or imagine you have a child and I send you a card or I send flowers to the hospital room or whatever. It changes the relationship overnight. Why? Because life events are emotional events. And anytime you tap into someone's emotions, Good or bad, you transform the relationship. Uh, in, in a bad way, if you do something that pisses somebody off, you transform the relationship how? By ending it. They'll want to end that relationship. In a good way, you transform the relationship because now they will identify uh, every time they see us, you know, um, the thought of the birth of their child comes into their head. They're going to think of Tom Corley uh, or every time uh, somebody, you know, the thought of a loved one who passed away enters their head. They're going to think of Tom Corley. Why? Because emotions lock in or create long term memories. It's called uh, it's called long term potentiation. Uh, emotions create memories. You might um, have had a, a life event when you were young, whatever it is. I guarantee you that memory is is still there. You can still recall it. I remember when I was four years old. Who has memories at four years old? I do. Um, I remember when my mother was dropping me off uh, at childcare, and I remember uh, where it was. I remember the uh, the event like it was crystal clear to me, as if it happened yesterday. Uh, and that was four years old. So these life event memories uh, lock in, lock you in uh, to the memory banks of whoever it is that you made the life event call 
too. So uh, those are the three things that I would tell your listeners, if you want to build strong, long lasting relationships, do all three of those and you'll soon find you have more relationships than than you know what to do with. I think that's critical. And I I think folks kind of rely on social media a lot for that. And they think, I'll just make a comment or I'll like something. But what Tom's saying is, it's picking up the phone. It's actually getting in your car and going down there. It's it's face to face. It's a humor and interaction to to support your network and and add yeah. value, you know, to your network. That's what it's all about. You you can't get away with just liking something, right? Am, am I right there? Right. right. Yeah. So, so let me put it another way: if you don't care about your relationships, then engage with them on social media. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's like a plant or something, you know, if you, if you just stop watering it and stop talking to it and taking care of it, it's just going to die. And, and I, um, I could totally see that happening. Yeah. The only value in my mind with respect to the rich habits, the only value social media has with respect to relationship building is if you use it as a stepping stone, uh, so that you can, you can then further the relationship by having, uh, uh, you know, finding out what their birthday is and making a call, finding out what's going on in their life so you can do a life event call. Uh, so it's it's a stepping stone. It's it's not a bad stepping stone, but you can't use it as the 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 means of building relationships. It will it will fail because it. Think about it this way: every you're you're doing what everybody else is doing, which is uh, wishing somebody a happy birthday on on Facebook. So how does that how does that make you any different than anybody else? How does that tap into the emotions of a person? It doesn't. I I can tell you I get a thousand because of my my um, I have so many followers now. I get a thousand happy birthdays on Facebook. I might get two or three people that call me, even though they follow my research. It's it's it makes me sick to my stomach. But the same people who I'm teaching and educating through social media, uh, instead of picking up the phone or shooting me an email or with, with more, you know, a, a more expansive uh, happy birthday wish, uh, instead of going the extra yard, they jump into the herd like everybody else. And, and what do I do? I have to do a blanket uh, thank you back for all the happy birthday wishes. I don't, I don't know who, who sent me a happy birthday. The only ones I remember who care about me are the ones who called me or the ones who emailed me <clears throat> uh, uh, or, you know, did something else, whatever it might be. Uh, so, uh, you know, that's my, my point is if, if you don't, if you're not really interested in growing relationships then stick to social media. Just circling back to this, uh, you know, original thing is, you know, in your study of these hundreds of very wealthy people, the network that they had built up was, critical to their success. And and so not only are you building up your wealth, you know, spiritually and emotionally by keeping in touch and interacting with humans from a human perspective, which is awesome. But you know, you don't want to just come at people when you're out of work or you're broke or you, you need help, you know, because it's like, hey, I haven't heard from you in five years. Now you're right. broke and you need something from me. It's it sucks. That's right. And and I, I fell into that trap. I when I used to work at Arthur Anderson, which is a big accounting firm, and uh, I um, I was 
I, I decided that I didn't, I no longer wanted to be a CFO of my company, that it was a CFO of a publicly held company because they wanted me to relocate my family again for like the third time in three years. So I said, no, nah, I'm done with that. I'm not ruining my family over this. So uh, I was looking for jobs. Uh, and um, I had, was reaching out to people I hadn't talked to, you know, since, I don't know, 1992, 93 uh, eight years and they, they had no interest in helping me, you know? So, so you're not, you're not, if you're not building the relationships that, that you value on a daily basis, uh, they're not going to come to the rescue. If you are, those relationships will pull you out of the deepest and darkest hole that you were in. Um, and they will rescue you. Uh, they'll open doors that are shut uh, they'll get I'll give you a perfect example. One of the individuals in my study was ran the commodities trading desk for a big uh, international bank. And uh, during 2000 and the end of 2008, he lost his job along with most of the people on his floor, uh, on his trading floor. And um, he called me up and he was one of the few people that knew he was part of the Rich Habits research because uh, nobody in my None of the individuals I interviewed knew they were being interviewed for a study. Uh, so he was one of the few and because uh, he was a tennis buddy of mine. And and so um, he called me up and he said, oh, you may not want to drop me off your list because I just got fired. Now, this is a guy that has like seven or eight million dollars. So I, I know he was joking. Uh, I said, well, what are you going to do? And he goes, I'm going to take a couple of weeks off and then I'll get a job somewhere. And I said, how are you going to get a job in this economy? They're firing people. And he goes, oh, trust me, I'll get a job. He called me up about a month later and he said, yeah, I'm going to be uh, starting work this Monday. I'm working, uh, you know, in the commodities trading desk at another big international bank somewhere. And I said, well, how, how did that happen? He said, oh, well, you know, I was always uh, devoted to mentoring people in my career. I, I made an effort to uh, mentor individuals. And one of the individuals that I mentored who left me my trading floor a number of years ago, um, I just made one phone call. He made one phone call, David. And and the guy that he called was one of the guys that used to work for him who, who was mentored by him. And he said, uh, I don't have a job for you, but I will hire you. Uh, come in Monday. Uh, and uh, we'll pay you, you know, $250,000 a year. And he said, sure, great. You know, that's fine. He, he was used to making half a million dollars a year. He didn't care because he had $7 million in the bank. But his point was well, well taken. He, he literally only had to make one phone call because he had built such strong relationships. Uh, that, you know, I told you the hello call, happy birthday call, the life event call. Well, the other one is mentoring people. This is why you want to mentor people. You you wanted to, to create uh, a, a swath of people behind you who you've helped in their lives because they will, those people will be the first ones in line to help you when, when something goes wrong in your life. Tom, this is blowing me away, man. Rich habits, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Pick it up. I mean, Tom's done the work for you, so he's got it all laid out. Tom, I'm going to pledge to you one hour of reading, one hour of writing, one hour of exercise, and I'm going to add one hour of reaching out to people by phone because I I've totally, I mean, I'm going to confess, like I've not been good about that. And 
Um, I'm one of those people, 5,000 people that probably wish you happy birthday on Facebook and that doesn't count. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, me- mentoring folks, I, I pledge, man, this is, this is uh, re-energizing me. So Tom, I want to thank you so much. I know we went a bit over time, but this has been so valuable for everybody who listens. And if they want to learn more about you and learn more about the book and, and whatnot, I know you have a website, right? That's dedicated to your publications. Yeah. So richhabits.net is my website. And uh, I have uh, probably like about 10,000 subscribers at this point. Uh, they get something every morning emailed to them, the tip of the morning to you. It's always tied to my re- research, uh, some part of my research. It's always uplifting and motivational. I try and make it a little bit entertaining when I can. Uh, I also uh, I, I blog, I write articles, uh, and, and many of the articles wind up in Success Magazine. They wind up in Money Magazine, Kiplinger's. Um, so uh, you, you get it firsthand when you when you subscribe you get all of this stuff just dropped into your email inbox and uh, you can also download a number of ebooks i have a bunch of free ebooks the dream setting ebook which uh, is i think uh, the most one of the most important uh, things to success rich habits uh, that's an ebook a small ebook and i have research reports and if you're interested in you know seeing you know, some of my media stuff I have uh, in the news and and uh, I have a page on the media. So I have in, I usually post uh, some of the most significant interviews and articles there. That's awesome. And I, I actually, I get the daily newsletter. I would highly recommend it. It's, it's, and it's a testament to your rich habits that you're putting in because I'm, I'm going, God, how does this guy write something every day or, you know, cue these up every day? It's amazing you know, the work ethic and, and it, it ties back to that rich habit. And, um, and I'm, I'm also going to go get the dream setting ebook right now, because that sounds really interesting. I, I like the, the concept there. So, well, Tom, thanks again. This has been absolutely awesome. And we'll hopefully be able to do it again and dig in more in another episode. No problem, David. Anytime you want me on, I'll be happy to, uh, you know, talk about other topics. There's, like I said, 344 of them. All right. Thanks, Tom. All right. Thank you. Are you an SDR, BDR, or an ADR who's ready to step up to management? Are you a current team lead or SDR manager who wants to go to the next level in your career? Join TenBound on July 19th, 2017 in downtown San Francisco for an immersive half-day live training class where we'll cover sales development, culture building, recruiting, team management, metrics, and designing your own career as a sales development professional. You don't want to miss this exclusive opportunity. Sign up today at tenbound.com slash events. That's tenbound.com slash events. Thank you.